This episode of Industry Focus Financials is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition, taped today on Monday, December 5th, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on the phone is John Maxfield, one of The Motley Fool's top banking analysts. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Gabby? I am doing really well, for the most part. Um, I threw out my back this weekend, so I am sitting here in agony to bring you guys this podcast. Just kidding. I'm feeling a lot better, but it's also the first time this has ever happened to me and I'm I'm just kind of aghast, I guess. I feel old. <laughs> it, it, it probably doesn't help that the chair you're sitting on is too tall. I, I mean, I don't know what that does for a back, but uh, <laughs> but just for just so listeners know, Gabby's feet evidently and I just learned this do not touch the ground in the chair she's sitting on. Okay, to be clear, like I told you before, it's not that, that, that I am so short. It is that the t- chair is too tall. I am 5'5". Five five. I feel like I should be able to touch the ground. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there because like our viewers, I can't actually see you. So it's, it's, it's only my imagination that's at work here. <laughs> uh, oh, I'll get to that in a second. That uh, So before we get started, I wanted to announce that Industry Focus is planning on releasing another book list this year. But this time, we thought that we'd ask for our listeners' recommendations. So, what investing book inspires you the most? Did you read a book that sheds light on human behavior or on a particular sector that really helped you invest better? Send it to us at industryfocus@fool.com, and feel free to send multiple recommendations. We're going to compile this all into a list and send it out later in the month if you email us and ask for it. And if you would like for your name and a place that you're from to be attached to the list, definitely send that on in too. I have been really excited to see all the book recommendations that have been pouring in, and I hope that we can get something from you. Also, a shout out to Mitchell for sending in some constructive criticism. We're going back to my earlier, uh, he noted that I say, um, a lot, and it's true. (laughs) It's a bad habit that I will try to fix. It comes from not being mindful enough of where I am in a conversation, and that's really annoying. So I will try really hard not to do that, but bear with me as I as I improve. Um, oh God, it's so hard. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> if any other listeners have constructive criticism for me, please feel free to write in. Keyword being constructive, I can't really do anything about the pitch of my voice. People have written in about that too. <laughs> That's just you know comes with the territory. I can start smoking, I guess, and just. Doing yeah. shots of whiskey before the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny you mentioned that, Gabby, because I've been like obsessed with podcasts. Or, or, I've just been listening to like many, so many hours of them over the last maybe three or four weeks. And and what you realize, and, and you hear podcast hosts talk about this all the time, that you really it takes a lot of conscious effort to get those kind of uh, idiosyncrasies in your language out of, you know, kind of of your language when you're talking on a podcast. So then, because when you're talking, you don't hear those things, but then when for a third party, they do hear them. So, so I can completely understand, I can completely understand where you're coming from. So you have one fan in me at least. Oh God, <laughs> I'm sure Mitchell's a fan. He was actually super nice in his email and he was really worried about offending me, which was so kind. Normally when you get criticism emails, they're not that kind. So thank you, Mitchell. Um, oh God, gosh darn it! I do have a friend who um, who got his PhD in linguistics, and he said that um is used as processing time for your brain, 
which goes back to me being not mindful enough in my conversation. So maybe maybe that's what's going on. My brain is just working too fast. You know, I'm just going to put the most positive spin on this for me that I can. Makes <laughs> <laughs> sounds sound, sounds like it makes sense to me. <laughs> so this week we thought that we would talk about uh, the American economy, uh, mm, the American economy in general. The Fed recently um, released unemployment rates. So. Big news, the unemployment rate, the general unemployment rate dropped from 4.9 to 4.6, which is a much bigger drop than it sounds like. It is. And, and to be clear, it was actually the Labor Department that, oh, that released yeah, that statistic. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I was having a conversation um, the other day with a good friend of mine, and he was he's a doctor and he's a surgeon. So he's like focused. He's pretty zeroed in on what he does. And he was asking me, you know, somebody who's in the financial industry, um, you know, what the state of the U.S. economy was, because it's so easy when you read the press and headlines and all these things to have a very dire perspective on where the United States economy is at right now. But the fact of the matter is, is that it is in a really, really strong position. And what's crazy is that you have to keep in mind that we're just, what, you know, eight years after the second largest financial crisis over the past 100 years. And if you go back to the Great Depression, you know, if you go back to 1929, which is when that big crash was, and then the depression started a year or two after that, by 1937, they, they had gone back into another deep depression. But to, so to Gabby's point, the fact that unemployment has dropped to 4.6% is a quite a remarkable quite a remarkable feat and, and it really goes to you know it really speaks volumes about the effectiveness of policymakers both in the George W Bush administration in the last year and how they dealt with the crisis at the very beginning and also in the Obama administration yeah so just for some perspective in September of 2009 oh no October of 2009 it peaked at 10 percent for the civilian unemployment rate which is nuts, especially when you consider that we are all the way back down to 4.6% now. Um, the So why is this important? Um, one of the reasons, there were two more ums, I'm counting two, Mitchell. Uh, one of the reasons that, it, that this 4.6% number is so interesting is because it means that the unemployment rate has dropped below the natural rate of unemployment. And you might be asking yourself, what is the natural rate of unemployment? And that is when the labor market is at equilibrium, so um, that means that there are that that there's. Here, let, let, let me let me kind of jump in here, Gabby. Sorry, so, thank you. I'm having you, a brain fart without my ums. Yeah, no, totally. So, you know, if you think about it, there's never going to be zero percent unemployment, right? Because there's always going to be people cycling in and out of the labor force for whatever reason. There's going to be companies growing and dying, and when companies die, you're going to have layoffs. So you're going to have involuntary unemployment and that's what unemployment is so you're going to have a you know a certain amount of that in an economy that is changing well the Federal Reserve has come out because the Federal Reserve's job uh, according to the congressional mandate that kind of dictates its all of its policies its job is to keep unemployment at the natural rate to basically to minimize unemployment involuntary unemployment and to keep price stability in order. And otherwise, you don't want too much inflation, but you don't want deflation either. So the question is, well, like, what is that exact rate? And the Federal Reserve and all their statisticians have come out and said, like, look, we think, based on our analysis, that the natural rate of unemployment, you know, kind of the healthy rate for an economy like ours, is 5%. So the fact that we are, and then so it, in two months ago, in October, 
the rate, the unemployment rate was 4.9%. So it was already below that 5% equilibrium that Gabby was talking about. But it fell even further in November, all the way down to 4.6%. And this is the lowest rate that it has been at since literally the economy was absolutely booming during the housing bubble. So this is a really good sign for the economy. Absolutely. So let's talk about why unemployment dropped off so much, because it's not magic. Like, you know, jobs didn't just magically appear and people didn't magically disappear from the population to like create this. Although one might think that. Right, John? Yeah, to a certain extent, that's true, because you you have to keep in mind that this the unemployment rate, the way that it is calculated is it takes the number of people who are involuntarily unemployed and actively looking for work, and it divides that, um, and it was, so that, that's kind of the denominator in the, in the calculation. So what that means is that there can be people who voluntarily take themselves out of the labor force, and this is called this is the labor participation rate, and those people who take themselves out of that are no longer factored into the unemployment rate. So that can happen a number of different ways. Either you voluntarily take yourself out, like let's say as the baby boomer generation is retiring, they are voluntarily withdrawing from the labor force. But you also have people who have stopped looking, actively looking for work, and that takes them out of the unemployment statistic too. So what we saw last month was that 400,000 people came out of the labor force. Okay, So that decreases that number in the unemployment rate. Right. But the reason that they're falling out, so that 400,000, that's a huge number. But the reason they're falling out, they think at this point, has more to do with people retiring than with people being discouraged and stopping looking for work. But then on the other side of the equation, you, they added a net 175,000 new jobs um, to the economy. So you, you kind of have that you kind of have that that balance between the two things. But that 400,000 uh, statistic outweighing the 175,000 statistic is the reason that it unexpectedly fell so much. Yes. And one of the things that you should look for is that when unemployment rates drop, inflation tends to tick up. That's exactly right. And, and so that is why that 5% rate is so is so important also, because if unemployment falls below that 5% rate, the theory is that what employers are going to have to do is they're going to have to start increasing their wages for the laborers. And if you increase the wages for the laborers, you're putting more money in people's pockets. If you put more money in people's pockets, that allows them to go out and bid up the prices of goods and services. And if you bid up the prices of goods and services, you're creating inflation. So this is a good sign when you consider that inflation, that kind of the other side of the Federal Reserve's responsibility, inflation has been below its target rate. It came in at 1.6% in October, but the, but the Federal Reserve is looking for a 2% inflation rate. So that's coming in below. So as these, uh, these kind of pressures in the labor market come to play, that is theoretically going to push that inflation number up closer to what the Federal Reserve is looking for. Yeah, I will say that there is one figure that is not quite as heartening in this report, which is the youth unemployment rate. Uh, The youth unemployment rate uh, peaked in 2010 at 18.7%, and right now it's hovering around 12%, which is not great at all. Uh, Youth unemployment rate is considered um, people who are not enrolled in in school, high school graduate, or people who are not enrolled in school, who are high school graduates but have no college and are between 16 to 24 years old. So 12% still not great. It is dropping, but just something to keep in mind, I suppose. 
Uh, so let's talk a little bit about interest rates. Janet Yellen is probably going to stick to what she said in November. You know, consumer confidence is up in general and unemployment is down. So it, it seems like it might be time to, to, start, to start raising the interest rates. Yeah, that's that's right. And, and let me just back up for just one point that I want to make on inflation. You know, in the United States, and kind of if you think about the last 40 years, inflation has really gotten a bad name. And 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 the reason it has gotten such a bad name traces back to the 1970s, 1980s, when inflation shot up into double digits. I mean, it was like 18 percent, 20 percent at the peak of the inflationary cycle at that time period. But and that is not a good thing, right? You don't want because then you have people. It, it's such an uncertain environment, you know. What I mean, you start to think about like the Weimar Republic and like Germany and and all of those different things. But to but you do want some inflation. So the question is, is how much inflation do you want? The Federal Reserve says two percent. So the question is, well, why do you want even some inflation? Why don't you just want perfect price stability? Well, the reason is that. In the United States, okay, our GDP, and I'm sure listeners have heard this statistic a million times, our GDP, 70% of it, traces itself back to the consumer and to consumer expenditures. Well, when you think about consumer expenditures, a lot of people buy things on debt. You know, you buy houses on debt, right? I, I own a house. Well, I actually don't own the house. Bank of America owns the house, right? <laughs> Same thing with most people in cars, right? They buy them and they get a they get a, a loan for the car. Well, anytime you're buying things on credit and you have inflation, that is making the cost of borrowing decrease each year. So let's say that that you, let's say like mortgage rates right now they're like 3.5 percent but let's say inflation goes up to two percent well that means that your actual the real cost to borrow is only 1.5 percent so that incentivizes people to borrows which then pushes consumer expenditures which are 70 percent of the u.s economy and that is why you do want some inflation but you don't want it to get out of control where you're adding uncertainty and then impacting consumer confidence on kind of on the on the other side of that but so the federal reserve so every every few months or not every few months actually every month the federal reserve either has a meeting or its chairwoman janet yellen has to testify before congress and when when she does that or when they have a meeting and they release the notes they give kind of an update on kind of the perspective on what they're thinking about in terms of in terms of interest rates. And Janet Yellen came out last month and said, look, we will raise interest rates, quote unquote, relatively soon if the economy, if there continue to be positive metrics that suggest that the economy is proving, is, is improving. And we just saw that, right, with that unemployment statistic. I mean, that is as, as, as straightforward as, as, as a statistic as you can get to show that the economy is improving. So what this means is that and you can never predict for sure when the Fed is going to raise interest rates. But it certainly suggests that at the Fed's meeting this month, there is a very good chance that they will, in fact, do so. Not only is unemployment rate or unemployment rate down, but consumer confidence is up. There was a study that was released recently showing that a lot of Americans more than last year came out to shop for Black Friday, although they technically spent $10 less than they did last year. They were still spending $290 on average during Black Friday, which is not an insubstantial amount of money. And not only that, but housing prices are up. They are they have exceeded the levels that they reached during the housing bubble in 2008. Yeah, I mean, and so you start putting all of these pieces together, and then what does that puzzle look like, right? Unemployment at 4.6%. Inflation slowly ticking up. Consumer confidence is up. The most recent survey was that it was at 
one, 107.1 in November, and it was at 100.8. This is an index, 100.8 in October. So it was up 7% in November, following, presumably following the election. You have housing prices, okay? We had, I mean, that was one of the biggest bubbles in the history of the United States of America, that housing bubble in the lead up to the financial crisis. And now housing prices on a na nationwide basis have now exceeded that as of last month. Now, there are certain pockets there, like Las Vegas and Florida, where the speculative frenzy just got out of control in the lead up to, in, during the bubble, that the housing prices are still far below. But once you put all these things together and then you look at how consumers were acting just two weeks ago, or yeah, it was two weeks ago, right, or a week and a half ago, in the wake of, uh, uh, of, of Thanksgiving for Black Friday, one of the biggest shopping days in the entire year, and then you factor in that the consumer expenditures are 70% of the U.S. economy, and it really paints a very robust picture, or a, it paints a picture of a ro very robust economy. I have a question. Do you think that houses are overpriced now? That is such an that is such a great question, Gabby. And let me tell you why this this actually is something I've been thinking about a lot. So I live in Portland, Oregon, and there's something really interesting going on in the Portland, Oregon housing market. So the way housing works is that if the supply of houses in any particular month exceeds six months worth of demand for houses, then the price of houses goes down. But if the supply of houses is less than six months the sell the, the sales rate of houses you know over that same time period this the houses prices will go up and so and generally you know in metro, major metropolitan areas you like the the supply will be right around six months worth of demand it'll, it'll fluctuate above and below that but it won't be fluctuate too far well in places like portland the supply of houses is only equivalent to 1.5 months worth of demand. So it is dramatically, dramatically lower. And what we are seeing is that prices are just shooting, shooting way up. But so then you just wonder like, well, is this like another bubble or like what's going on here? And I, I think there's a number of things going on, but I think one of them is the fact that the mortgage rates are 3.5%. So when mortgage rates are 3.5%, you can comp your, the cost of your housing is gonna be so much lower which means that you can offset that lower cost on the borrowing side with higher home prices, right? So you have that interest rate thing going at, you know, coming into play. And then also I think that you know, as home prices continue to improve in all these different cities, those people who bought at the top of the housing cycle during the housing bubble, they are coming into positive equity. Right. So then you're probably going to see I, I, my guess is that you're going to see the supply open up a little bit because these people will then feel comfortable selling their house because they won't have to do so at a loss. So, I, 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 you know, I, I think it's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but I, those are the dynamics, I think, that are at play um, in anyone trying to figure out what's going on there. Quick question for you. Where did you get the data on housing supply? Oh, I don't, I can't remember. I can't tell you exactly where I got that, that 1.5 months worth. It, it's just kind of been, it, it's in, been in the local, it's been in the local news here over the past few months or really over the past couple of years. And I can tell you that we bought a house um, two and a half years ago and we've had friends buy houses. And I actually wrote an article about this maybe a year and a half ago. So we had some friends come out and buy a house and they put their house on the market on a Friday. And by the end of the weekend, they had 15 offers, the majority of which were above their asking price. And so it's just, it's, just, it's just a crazy thing to think that this is happening only eight years after the financial crisis.
Definitely. And I know that I want to reiterate a point that you said earlier, which is that um, it, it looks like consumers are thinking about getting mortgages now because interest rates are cheap and they're worried about interest rates rising, although interest rates are not going to rise so quickly that you need to rush out the door and get it right now. But talking about housing prices and mortgages, if you are thinking about getting a mortgage, I wanted to remind our listeners that this episode of Industry Focus Financials is brought to you by Rocket Mortgages from Quicken Loans. And Rocket Mortgages brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, already, not because you're worried about the you know, the interest rates, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. And with that, we turn to energy prices. I don't know if you've noticed, but they are down. They're way down. They're way down, right? I mean, what, I guess there's there's two ways to there's two ways to think about it. Over the longer term, they're way down because you know going in the crisis are well above a hundred dollars a barrel, but now they're around fifty dollars a barrel. However, if you look at where we were in January when they sure. were twenty five <laughs> bucks a barrel, they're double that. So and so let let me tie this back in, Gabby, to to inflation and all these different things. So when you think about energy prices, they are one of the central components of, of inflation. And, and it works like that. And that's even if you just factor out kind of the price changes in energy prices directly, because they have a big indirect impact on the economy. So let's say you want to buy something at, you know, whatever it is, Walmart or Target. Well, that thing has to get to Walmart or Target, and they generally have to get there in a truck, right? Well, the truck takes gas. So the higher price of gas, the higher the price of all those goods, because that's all got to be factored in. Well, as gas has dropped over the last two years, and then you consider that we had, there were periods last year where, where there was deflation in the overall economy, certainly doesn't seem like that is a coincidence. So as these gas price and oil and gas prices come up, which they're likely to do because OPEC, Russia, and Iran just came to an agreement to cut cut cut, cut production. As those come up, that too is probably going to have a positive impact on inflation. So all of these signs are pointing in the positive direction for the economy. Absolutely. And just so people who I guess aren't as familiar with this slash don't remember the 1970s, um, OPEC is the organization of the petroleum exporting countries. And I believe that that includes a lot of different countries excepting Russia and a few others. So it's it's interesting that they that they all managed to get together and agree to to drop the the amount of oil that they're producing and that doesn't just affect like consumer stuff and whatnot. It also affects obviously the oil companies. Rig count is way down for the oil companies because they're not going to be producing as much oil. Yeah, I mean if you look back at the beginning of January, there were this is according to the Baker Hughes US crude oil rig count. There were six, roughly 1,600 um, U.S. crude oil rigs in operation. Well, as OPEC, and this is the reason that OPEC got together and said, we're going to boost up supply to drop the price in order to get these new frackers and, and, and these new kind of 
higher expense production companies in the United States. Well, let's, let's kind of drive them into bankruptcy. And that's exactly what they've done. So rig count, or at least it caused them to close their rigs, rig count has gone from 1,600 in the United States in January down to, it looks like it, it bottomed out maybe around 300 in April, May, June of this year. And now it's back up as energy prices have started to recover. Now it's up to around something like 500. So, you know, you, you, there, there is a huge impact that, that, you know, the United States is going to see um, as a result of, high, you know, rising oil prices. Absolutely. Um, and we'll see how that plays out domestically and politically at home. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about today? No, I mean that that's that's kind of that kind of covers it. But let me just kind of reiterate the point that the US economy is in a very, very strong position right now. Now, does that mean that this is exactly where we want it to be? No. I mean there are still areas we want to see improvement on inflation, stuff like that. But as this income administration comes in, and if they are able to get their fiscal plans through Congress, which there is a very good possibility that they they'll be able to, because you have the same party in control of the executive branch and in charge of the legislative branches, that is only going to further boost the economy, which will further boost inflation, which will further uh, boost interest rates. So, you know, if you look around the world today and you hear what's going on in Europe and you hear what's going on potentially in China and kind of the dour outlook there, certainly in the United States, it is a completely different story. And there's every reason for Americans to be optimistic right now about the economy. Yeah, and talking about that, it's actually really interesting because the U.S. dollar is super strong right now, um, which might mean that it's time to look abroad for investments. Maybe something yeah. we should consider in a future episode. <laughs> so, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Um, also, I want to remind our listeners about our book list, please, please, please email us. We're so excited to get your emails. I promise that I will personally write each and every one of you back. Um, I would give you other listeners emails who have already written me as proof, but that is probably illegal. So, Austin, you're awesome. Have you read any books recently? I have not. Okay. <laughs> well, I challenge you to read a book for next week. It probably won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and that is totally okay. But if you do, you should tell me what it is and we'll announce it to the world at large. Thanks to Austin for being our awesome producer. And contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at MF Industry Focus. Everyone have a great week.